Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hi, I'm Mike Wasserman. And I'm Bala Musitz. Today's guest on the podcast is Matt Kopko. Matt is the Vice President of Public Policy at Daily Pay. Bela, you and, and Matt had a great conversation about on-demand pay and how it can positively impact the ability of employees to receive their pay daily and not have to wait two weeks or more for a paycheck. It's an industry neither you or I really knew a lot about. Yeah, I think it's uh, really interesting. You know, it's a whole industry that I didn't even know existed. Uh, and uh, just a little bit of a heads up, uh, Matt uses the term PEO. And uh, I should have asked them to define that during our conversation, but I didn't. And what PEO stands for is Professional Employer Organization, which is a full-service HR outsourcing provider, sort of like ADP. So uh, that's well, part of the things that came up in the conversation. And uh, what do you say, Mike? Should we jump right into the interview? Let's do it. Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Unconventional Path. Uh, today, we have a great guest. Matt Kopko, and he is the Vice President of Public Policy at Daily Pay. Welcome to the show, Matt. Great to be here. So let me ask you a question. If you're at a social event and you get introduced to somebody, and after the introduction, they say to you, oh, so nice to meet you, Matt. What do you do? How do you answer that question? I typically say I'm a regulatory attorney. Oh, and then, and then do they leave the conversation or do they stay? Uh, sometimes they'll say, Hey, I got a speeding ticket the other day. Can you help me with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, tell us a little bit about daily pay and what it is and what the company's about. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me, uh, on the podcast here. Excited to be here. Um, so I'm, I'm the vice president of public policy is what the, the bigger word salad answer is to what I do. Uh, and I work at a company called daily pay daily pay is the leading on-demand pay provider. Um, it's also called Earned Wage Access. It's a emerging financial technology that is flipping the payroll experience on its head. I think the best way to think of what we do is we work with employers to help make the payroll process more like an ATM and less like a, we pay you once or twice a month because that's how our accounting teams work. In the meantime, actually, if you think about that, employees are essentially loaning their wages to their employers for two weeks at a time, interest-free. And so what we've what we've seen is, you know, life doesn't wait for the 15th or the 30th of the month. And in fact, especially people in moderate and low income jobs suffer real financial harm because of that status quo. And the alternatives out there really aren't good right now. Right. It's overdraft fees from banks. It's payday loans. It's other types of things. And we said, you know, technology exists. Instant payments is kind of becoming everywhere. If we can apply this to the payroll model, isn't there a lot to be gained for employees in terms of their day to day lives? And so we work through the employer system to help track and manage and what I would say is essentially virtualize a payroll run on an on-demand basis for employees so that they know how much they've earned in a given pay period to date. And then they can access that money just like an ATM, like they would with any other uh, financial asset that they have. So instead of waiting two weeks to get some sort of odd black, black box number post deductions in your bank account, what you can monitor with our service is on a, a daily and increasingly hourly basis, how much you're earning today, hour by hour, in net take-home pay, and then just like an ATM, access your own earned money whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. Because after all, it's your money. If you quit or were fired, that paycheck is coming to you. And in a lot of states, actually, it has to be sent to you immediately as opposed to at the next payroll date. So our, our daily pay exists to uh, d disrupt the payroll cycle and help payroll work for employees uh, and use financial technology to help people uh, get off of payday loans and stop reliance on overdraft fees and other really bad alternatives that have been existing out in the market for the last few decades. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds that sounds really fantastic. I, I haven't, I got to say, I haven't heard of this before speaking to you. I've certainly heard about payday loans and and those various types of things. So I can understand how from the employee's perspective, this is really good, right? I have access to the money right away when I earn it and I can I can go to an ATM and get it out. Why are the companies sort of interested in this, right? So if I'm running a business, I'm thinking, well, gee, this is going to potentially impact my cash flow because normally I have two weeks extra cash around. Right. Uh, so what's yeah. what's their sort of motivation? 
Yeah, well, so uh, on the logistics and funds, well, the great thing about it, too, is, you know, part of why it's so seamless for employers is that we don't make them disrupt their payroll process or change their funding. We have a whole capital market system that we can handle that directly ourselves. But to your bigger question about why would an employer want to do this, actually, there was a compelling value prop even before COVID, and it kind of just went, um, you know, almost on steroids because of COVID. And the reason is retention and attracting quality uh, employees and what we had even before the coronavirus pandemic was clear demonstrated benefits for employers saying that employees are happier, employer, um, sorry, employees are happier, employees stay longer. And when you advertise a job that says you can get paid as frequently as you need, you tend to get more applicants and higher quality applicants. If you fast forward two years now to where we were before coronavirus, you know, stores literally can't stay open. There's a Chipotle in my town and I've gone by it multiple times at 4.30 p.m. or 5 p.m. to try to, you know, get food for dinner and it's cl closed, not understaffed, just straight up closed. Um, and this is you know, something that's kind of unprecedented in, in American society. And the dynamics in the labor market are actually directly impacted by this. So, so what we saw was you know, fantastic technology that's great for consumers and growing with the employer demand before coronavirus. Now it's increasingly something that employers are coming to saying, man, I'm having, you know, forget what the problems I was having before. I can't even really keep the doors open right now with my employees. How can I get more employees in the door? And so this workforce activation is another amazing benefit of this technology. So we have a great win-win here where it's great for employees. It helps them save uh, hundreds of dollars a month and several hundred dollars a year in the average case if you're reliant on those bad alternatives like overdraft fees or payday loans or late fees. And for the employers, it helps them attract and retain great talent. Yeah, I can certainly understand how this would be a, a great benefit uh, for, for employees. Um, now, how does, uh, did you say that you guys take care of the float? So for, from a company perspective, there's really no change in my cash flow. Is, is that what yeah. I heard you say? Yeah. Go, uh, yeah explain that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, you know, uh, we take, you know, the, the philosophy and, and design approach that, you know, the more you, the more you make people change things, the less they will change and everything needs to be seamless as possible. So our, our user experience for our employees is, as you'd imagine, kind of just like an ATM with a couple touch of a buttons. Money can get instantly routed to your uh, destination account of choice. Similar for employers, what we saw was if you know, employ um, uh, HR and payroll are very complicated and intricate systems run by large teams. Like a payroll run for a medium-sized company can take a whole team of people multiple days to run it right. And so uh, we didn't want to go into our employer partners saying you have to change how you're doing things and add a whole bunch of new hires to do this thing that's going to be great for you and employees. We just knew that wasn't going to help the industry grow very fast. So we took an intentional design approach that said, we are kind of a, a layer that exists on top of your existing payroll procedures. Almost uh, Sometimes I use like the Brita filter analogy. It kind of plugs in to the end of the faucet, and it's that link between the employer and the employee that allows us to uh, trans transform these large you know, bolts of wage payments every two weeks or four weeks or 15 days, depending on the payroll cycle of the employer, into smaller bite-sized pieces as requested and needed by an employee. So we sit and control that entire layer. We don't require employers to alter their payroll procedures. There would be also uh, compliance ramifications if we had to do this. So there's a kind of business growth objective here and a compliance objective at play here to say, we maintain our own capital market system. We have uh, banking partners, and we have other types of partners who provide the liquidity to make sure that these payroll systems can operate seamlessly. And it's also a great additional backstop in case an employer is late or, God forbid, has a problem with payroll. We're an additional party now in the in the oversight process to say, hey, this payroll wasn't received on time. Let's make sure we get that fixed. So uh, you know, our approach is to do that without having to require employers to put up more money, put money up in different ways, start telling their HR teams that they have to start doing their job differently. We know that we succeed when our HR professional partners uh, you know, are empowered and when employees are empowered. Right, right. Excellent. So what's sort of the sweet spot for company size, number of employees that, that really works for this? Or, or maybe I should ask, what's the entry point, right? So what's sort of the boundary conditions here? Yeah. So we, we serve employers large and small across the nation. Uh, we have hundreds of employers on the platform. Employers are as small as, I believe last time I checked a few weeks ago, so this data might be outdated. We did have one employer with as few as seven employees, but we also do this for several of the Fortune 500 and 100, and we do this for multiple of the 10 largest employers in the nation. So um, some of our partners, you know, for, for confidentiality reasons, don't want us kind of, you know, mentioning their brand name, but there are you know, very large names in terms of stores you would be shopping at, 
um, and places that you go to you know, buy goods every day that are operating this system nationwide for their employees. Um, and so for us, there is you know, certainly an economy of scale, right? If we're going to build a custom integration to receive employee data, it's better on a unit economics basis to do that for 10,000 employees versus 1,000 employees. But we actually have a dedicated small and medium enterprise sales team um, and support system so that increasingly we're trying to build this tool. And part of why the growth of the industry is so important is we want to be able to have as many small and medium-sized employers have access to this technology that they can. It shouldn't just be large employers that have access to it. And that's part of where my job comes in because the more the compliance burden goes up, the more the first people you lose are those small small folks who can't have a dedicated compliance right. or anything like that. Right. So we do our best to, to have small, medium, and large employers in the system. We have some Goliaths on the system, and then we also have some you know really great partners that have been with us for a very long time uh, that are you know mom and pop shops and are are some frankly the first people who believe in us. So it's great to maintain those relationships as we've grown so much. Yeah, yeah. So you know th- this podcast, uh, I think our our major listeners are entrepreneurs, uh, small to medium sized business owners. So if I have a business with 50 employees, chances are I'm probably using some third party to do my payroll. Uh, so talk me through sort of how we would integrate this benefit to my employees. Yeah, sure. And we're increasingly building these types of integrations that work downstream. So uh, one thing I should also mention in terms of small and medium-sized businesses, you know, we provide this uh, solution through partnerships with other financial ent- entities, other payroll providers, PEOs, um, and all other types of uh, marketplace participants that are in the payroll ecosystem. So for us, when we were first starting out, every integration needed to be custom, right? Because it was, you had this type of time and attendance system, and you were on this type of payroll system, and they don't talk to each other, and you got to pull your accounting data from a different database. The nice part about having done this for hundreds of employers now is, while you know employers are not all the same, we've seen you know, almost all of the technology tools and built an integration for that for another client at one point in time. So we now kind of have off the rack APIs that say, you know, if you have this type of integration set up for your systems versus uh, a different payroll provider, we already have the ability to not have to build that from scratch and it'll be cheaper for us to be able to offer that to smaller employers. So whether you're using a PEO or whether you're using the other type of blue chip payroll services that do more outsourcing of the payroll process, Odds are we have either done an integration with that company before or actually have, uh, uh, in the case of a lot of these companies, actual partnerships. So we, for example, partner with ADP on all types of uh, technology and and ventures related to this space. So as we've grown, we've been able to embed this system increasingly into the financial infrastructure. And that's what's really exciting for us, actually. What What I think the really exciting thing here is what we hope for is a few years from now, People are going to look back and say, man, remember that old time when you used to get paid once or twice a month because that was just the way the world works? We want to embed this technology into the plumbing of the financial ecosystem so that no matter who you are, small employer, large employer, uh, it can work through your bank, it can work through your payroll company, it can work directly through you as your company from a procurement standpoint. We want to make that as simple as possible no matter who you are. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So let's say again, let me go back to the example. I have a 50-person company. Uh, I use a payroll service that you guys have already interfaced with. If I say, okay, Matt, I, I want this. Is that a, is that a one week process? Is it a one month process? Is it a four month process? Sort of take me through, yeah. take me through that a little bit. I think the typical integration that requires actual custom technology takes about six weeks. Some of them can be up and running in a matter of a week or two. If we have a lot of off the, off the rack technology that we can leverage. So please feel free to go to, to try dailypay.com or dailypay.com and reach out to our team. Um, you know, we have, like I said, a whole team dedicated yeah. to onboarding small and medium-sized businesses. And if you're in a type of industry where you're having trouble attracting talent or keeping talent through no fault of your own, because this is just such a uh, unprecedented labor market and supply chain system we have right now, these are the types of things that can help you get more applicants in the doors. These are the types of things that can help employees leaving for other jobs that offer more flexible benefits like this. So, um, you know, it's, it's something that is increasingly seen as an attractor for talent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a very reasonable uh, cycle time, right. To kind of get onboarded and up and running. So again, if I'm running a 50 person company, how do I talk to my employees about this? How do I talk to prospective employees about it? Right. Cause most people never heard of it. They go like, and then it might be like suspicious. Well, well, wait, wait a minute, what's going on here? Right. So yeah. what, what's sort of the communication strategy? Do you guys help with that? 
Yeah, we typically work very closely um, with our employer partners, you know, based on how much or little they need in terms of assistance for us. We do think there's a basic element of, of uh, employee education that needs to, to take place in order for people to understand the benefit. Um, but what we do see is, um, you know, offering this as an employee benefit, right, allows you to engage in the right channel where people are assessing other financial benefits when they come on. And so once you explain to people what daily pay is, essentially it's an ATM for your paycheck. It layers over the payroll system and allows you to either just do nothing and monitor your pay balance, which is a huge benefit for people, by the way. We have, uh, uh, you know, a large portion of people on the platform uh, are not even engaging in financial transactions. The the idea that you can see your net take-home pay on an hourly basis update for you, just like like your uh, pedometer, right? When, when you're taking your walking steps, um, it, it seems like such a simple thing, but it didn't exist before. And it was actually just, uh, if we could put a little bit of a, a humble brag in there, it was just designated by Time Magazine as one of the best inventions of 2021, our pay balance, which has been uh, patented and, and, and trademarked by Daily Pay, which is this just this this mere information technology is a huge financial benefit to people. So what we find is is um, people love the information benefit. It's almost like you know gamified work. You check at lunch. Oh man, I made seventy four dollars so far. That's so great to know. Instead of you know just showing up at work every day, kind of checking out, and then in two weeks saying, all right, at least I got a hunk of money for it. I don't know how it all came together, but it, it seems less than I should have, but but it's the amount of money I got. And now, so we, what we've done is we've impacted what we call the pay experience where people can interact with their pay better. And so we do find this is actually a very attractive option for employees when presented to them. Um, and actually, a lot of our employer partners will affirmatively advertise in job postings, daily pay, get paid daily. Um, as an as an additional employee benefit to get people in the door. So once people understand that it's an employee benefit that allows you to get paid daily, it starts to click for them. And we actually see a lot of a lot of click through on the app. We we would love as many uh, employees on the platform as possible to use it. But um, you know anywhere up to forty percent of employees at a given employer will tend to activate the daily pay system when given the choice. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, so you brought up regulatory challenges or issues, and, and I imagine there's some of those at the federal level and there's some of those at the state level. So, you know, walk me through some of those a little bit. Yeah, well, we live in a very regulated space, right? Money is involved. Wages are involved. Uh, very sensitive personal data in terms of your accounting elections, your wage rates are involved. Uh, and so we have to be very mindful of compliance in all these regimes. And a lot of them historically actually weren't written to coexist together, but now because of this technology and big data, they find themselves coexisting together. So my job as the head of the public policy team at Daily Pay is to make sure that our technology is structured in a way to be the industry leader in compliance with existing law, and then also to engage with stakeholders and elected officials and regulators who are coming to terms with this technology potentially for the first time, saying, I don't know what this is, uh, can you help explain this to me? Um, you know, with any type of, of powerful new technology, we've seen this with some of the other larger technology platforms. You know, that power can be used for good, and it can be used accidentally sometimes for bad. So I think there's a lot of um, rightful dialogue out in the marketplace to say, how do we make sure controls are in place to protect consumers with this type of technology? Should there be new rules put in place? Because um, you know, this isn't something that's unique to daily pay, right? A lot of emerging financial technology products find themselves in a very outdated statutory regime. And state governments and federal and the federal government are wrestling right now very uh, uh, aggressively with what do we do about all this new technology? So there's been all these debates at the federal level about should there be a payments charter through the Office of the Control of the, of the Currency or should financial services be regulated the way for the most part they've been historically regulated, which is at the state level. And then do, do state regulators have the, you know, just let alone the, the understanding, but the, the bandwidth to be able to handle this explosion of new technology, right? It's not just daily pay in our competitors. It's other new overdraft avoidance fintechs products. It's buy now, pay later products. Um, there's a lot of new uh, explosion of new technology in the in the financial technology space. And, and so my job, uh, you know, is, is pretty busy tracking these 50 states and the federal government and all the stakeholders involved and making sure that the, the regulatory landscape is conducive to consumer protection and positive growth for the industry in ways that are good for consumers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, let me go back to my example about I run a 50-person company uh, before, and I'm in New York State. So if I want to bring you guys on, is there something I need to do at the state or federal level first? Is there some forms or paperwork or regulations I need to uh, take care of? 
Well, we're headquartered in New York. I actually live across the river in New Jersey, but was was in our offices in New York yesterday. So New York, as a as a random choice of a state, is near and dear to our heart. We're uh, we're headquartered right in, in New York City, built in New York City. Very proud of that. Um, but the beauty is, is this system integrates directly with payroll, and so there's no additional uh, legal burden associated with on-demand pay or earned wage access at the state level. And my job is to uh, engage with states who are contemplating or considering that and helping work with them on, you know, is something necessary? If so, what should it be? Um, and things like that. So I think those conversations will continue. Um, almost no one was really particularly, you know, focused on this industry just a couple of years ago. Um, in, in 2019, uh, it was, there was about half a dozen states uh, that did it uh, last year. Um, and uh, so there's some interesting approaches that are emerging. There's not a huge body of, of precedent yet because it's still an emerging technology, but the California model um, has been interesting. Essentially, it's most states have said, we don't think we need anything. California has said, we'd, we'd like you to register with the government. So it's not financial licensure. It's nothing punitive. It's, it's nothing from an enforcement standpoint. It's, it's actually a really elegant way to deal with emerging the, the challenge of emerging fintech, which is we don't want to do nothing, but we don't want to you know, squish a bunch of square pegs into round holes here. So they came up with this kind of light touch registration proposal, which was a rulemaking that they proposed in October um, under their California financial uh, protection law that would have us register with the state as a wage-based advanced provider, and, uh, and we would we keep operating with a you know in an unrestricted manner in the state. Um, so there's this balance that states are wrestling with right now, which is we want to have a handle on this, but we understand that there's you know too heavy of a touch can be done if not done the right way, yeah. and and that's where my entire department comes in. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a burden on you guys, not a burden on on the employer. So, yeah, absolutely. Right? And, yeah. and 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 sometimes depending on how uh, if. You know, if a statute is written inartfully, it may accidentally create a compliance nightmare for payroll companies, or it may create sure. a compliance, an unintended compliance burden on employers. So, you know, we try to track all this. It's, you know, definitely very complicated and difficult. Sometimes there can be 20 points in a in a proposal that need to be talked through or addressed. There's data sharing involved. There's funds flows that are involved. Um, you know, there's the existing patchwork of laws that affect financial services and payments of wages and all types of that thing as well. So it's a pretty complicated space um, that I would say we're kind of in the early phases still of, you know, a yeah. handful of states have started to look at it and I'll be very you know, excited to see how this kind of evolves in the coming years. Yeah. Are there any states where, where you guys cannot operate? No, right now we're operating in, in 50 states. Um, and this is something that's, that's actually relied upon by some of the most important industries to our economy right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, nurses, grocery store workers, retail workers, uh, restaurant workers, hospitality workers, a lot of, you know, moderate income, particularly hour, hourly based industries are really needing this technology right now. So again, we didn't like, we didn't set out to say, let's build a business around frontline workers, but we found ourselves in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, keeping, you know, imagine this, keeping nurses out of having to turn to payday loans in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. It's a really good good story. And it really, it's a really, it's a way to feel good about yourself when you're going to work every day to say, man, I am helping these people who are fighting on the front lines, helping us all try to live as normal of a life as possible, helping them, you know, avoid getting taken advantage of by other types of financial right. services. Right. Excellent. Have you guys uh, have any international presence at all? Uh, we've been asked about that. We haven't done any sort of direct launches in other jurisdictions. We have some things that we're looking at. We have other, other providers in, in the global market that we're in touch with and uh, have some partnerships underway that are exciting. So I would say that's an exciting area of growth. Um, this industry, frankly, is also exploding in other parts of the globe right now. There's, you know, I, I track all the, the press clippings on our space and I'll, I'll see a news alert about this or that earned wage access company in Europe, or this or that earned wage access company in the Philippines, or this or that earned wage access company in another foreign jurisdiction. So this is something that I think people are starting to realize globally is you know, the, the payroll and accounting systems of the 20th century are so much different. And it's not just, oh, we're in a new century. It's we're in a world of instant everything right. with instant payments. And if you had to rebuild the system from now, no one would ever say, yeah, you work for, you know, the the first to the 14th and then you get paid on the 22nd. Like this is, you know, these are, these are things that are just artifacts of history that are ripe for being updated. Yeah. Well, it's interesting as you were saying that, because it, it made me think about uh, one of my very first jobs back when I was still a young lad uh, was in the construction industry in a, in a home. I was working for a home builder and mm -hmm. I, I was a Mason's helper and I got paid at the end of the day. 
every day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I it's mean, that used to be the standard. Yeah. And that's how I got paid. And then I remember, you know, I went to college, I got this great job and I had to wait like four weeks for my first paycheck. And I'm like, holy camoly, what's going on? You know, because I got I got to pay rent. I got to pay all these bills and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I got a, you know, a real professional job, got my college degree. And it was like a big shock. I went from being paid every day to being paid once a month. Yeah. I remember when I was starting out my career, um, you know, bills were due the sixth of the month. And, you know, depending on the payroll cycle, I might get being paid only a couple of days before that. And you see this massive swing in your bank account right. balance after you pay, you know, let's say rent and the credit card bill. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough where I didn't have a lot of circumstances where I had to think about that balance going to zero, but some of the people who are doing some of the most honorable jobs right now are in that, yes. in that situation. And so for us, it's very personal. And my job as a policy professional is not just the regulatory stuff. It's to actually get to the bottom of what this thing does for people. So very proud of the research we've done. We've partnered with some great organizations to look at how does this actually impact the financial wellness um, of these critical workers. And what we're, what we're seeing is historically, you know, low moderate income workers are much more reliant than you would even think on overdraft fees, payday loans, just a rough stat for you before access to our system. One in four employees who came onto our platform reported that they were overdrafting their bank account once a month or more. Wow. So that's it. Two overdrafts a month, that's 70 bucks a month. If you can access your earned pay to never have to overdraft again, either for free or at most two or three dollars, You'd have to be doing that every day, which which nobody does, to be able to even come close to any of those fees. So, uh, you know, for us, what we're seeing is we're kind of, you know, the, the way I've thought about it is we're reducing an order of magnitude on the fee burden here. So we have zero fee in our sites, but right now we're turning $35 overdraft fees into $2.99 daily pay fees. And, you know, there's more work to be done, but getting 90% of the way there is, that's 32 bucks back in a hardworking person's pocket. That's multiple hours of post-tax sure. work for them. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about the company, the history, when you guys got started, you know, the journey you guys have taken. Yeah. So um, I've been at Daily Pay uh, actually just over two years. Uh, January 3rd was my two-year anniversary. And uh, in startup world, at least, you know, that, that makes me a bit of a veteran. But our company actually was founded way back in 2015 by uh, former financial engineers uh, in the New York financial ecosystem uh, who had the same idea of saying, you know, when my... I, I believe our, our CEO told us once the, the inspiration that came for the the company was he asked his Domino's delivery guy saying, hey, when do you get paid for when you're making this delivery? And he said something like three weeks from now. Uh, and he said, man, there's got to be a great opportunity here to shrink that period of time. And that was how it was begun. And, and for a while, we, we started trying to offer this to Uber drivers. And that was one of the first things that we did. As you, as you may know, same day pay is now beyond common in the gig environment. And what we saw was a huge opportunity to go to employers to say, you know, there's a really relevant policy conversation as well about pro protecting good paying jobs, jobs with benefits. And if we're increasingly losing people to these gig type of jobs. Why don't we embed that same technology in the employment ecosystem? And so we started with uh, a couple small employers. I think uh, 2017, we started bringing on some of our first, you know, standard employment based uh, partnerships. And now we look back and millions of employees on the platform, like I said, nationwide programs for multiple of the 10 largest employers in the nation. Um, it's just, it's come, you know, very fast. And this is a technology that, that most people still don't know. And a couple of years ago, almost nobody knew about. So yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot more to go still. Most employees still don't even have access to this type of technology and everyone should. Yeah. And how big are you guys? Number of employees, number of offices, et cetera. Yeah. I think we're over 500 employees now. Um, and when I joined, uh, we were a little under 200. So just in the two, two years I've been here, we've more than doubled. Um, and so we are kind of your prototypical fast growing technology company. Um, we are, we are moving offices because, uh, and among other things, we were kind of, you know, crammed into a pre COVID style startup environment where everyone was elbow to elbow and, and that's not going to be the stasis anymore. So we have, you know, larger teams coming back to work in the, in the whole arc of return to work. Um, and it's a larger team. I've had to meet a lot of colleagues for the for the first time on Zoom. Uh, some of my closest colleagues, actually, I knew them only virtually for the better part of a year. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely interesting to reflect on on my time here and, and how much we've come in, in just the two years that I've been here and since 2015 when this wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And are you guys venture backed, privately financed, or publicly financed? 
we are venture backed. Uh, you know, we're typically asked not to disclose any in terms of our numbers. There is some public reporting out there about some of our most recent funding rounds. I would say that what matters to us being able to provide this service to some of the largest companies in the country is they need to know that they have a partner that has great technology sure. and financial solvency and financial capability. So we are very well capitalized uh, by almost an order of magnitude, the most well capitalized in the market. And that's critical to these large employers who say, you're going to be involved in my payroll system. I need to know that you're here to stay. And so Daily Pay has taken great pains to build great relationships on the equity side, uh, on the capital market side, and otherwise to make sure that our well-oiled machine works consistently with some of the largest employers in the nation. Sure. Because that's a huge a huge capital need. And and if you don't do this right, you may find yourself in a situation where you know the service you have to deliver well outpaces your capacity to process payments. And we can never be in that circumstance where people, you know, our whole reason for existing is helping people get their earned pay faster. If we were to be a, a uh, an impediment in that process, we'd be we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, yeah. Do you see, you know, at some period in the future, five, ten years, that this will be the standard way of of getting paid? I, I do think that uh, this concept of on-demand payroll is something that is going everywhere. It's not just us. There's there's now, you know, there were only a couple of us uh, a few years ago, but now there's dozens of competitors, um, and payroll companies are starting to try to offer this service. Legacy financial institutions are starting to offer this service. We actually are working with some of those institutions to be the technology solution for that. Um, so I honestly do uh, not, you know, I hope it's daily pay in, in, in most events, but I think this type of technology is rapidly as we speak, embedding itself through all parts of the financial ecosystem that need it, payroll providers, payroll service providers, PEOs, banks, um, all these types of providers. There's, there's uh, API companies now that exist solely to provide APIs for employer data and employee data. Um, so I, I do, you know, one of the one of the dents in the universe Daily Pay is something to make, I think, is we look back in a few short years and say, man, everyone just accepts the idea that they can get their earned pay whenever they need it um, as just a basic fact of life, almost like electricity and plumbing. And it will be crazy to think, I think, in a few years, that just a few short years ago, that wasn't thought of as the standard thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's really neat. Hey, so Matt, you've been a great guest. Uh, before I wrap this up, let me ask you one more question. Uh, is there something I should have asked you that I didn't? Is there something else you want to share with the audience? Um, I think for, for us, the most important thing is to be focusing on our, our users and what they're contributing to the economy. So, you know, at least from my world, one thing that, that often gets, uh, you know, focused on that I think isn't the right focus is, well, what are the right number of dollars to be paying in fees for this? And and one thing that I, I see is we're meeting employees at a place in their life where they need real financial help and real financial improvement. So for us, the opportunity to be able to make this impact on people's lives is critical. And I think the conversation should be about how do we empower people to be able to have access to this type of technology to be able to control their financial future and build financial wellness. Um, and I think it's important that governments take note of the idea that you know the way that things were done through the mail and fax um, you know, was just a few short years ago. But you know, when we're looking at regulatory regimes, you know, I've seen competitors, you know, substantially change their business model in a matter of just a couple of months. So the idea that we can fix all this in some sort of, you know, regulatory process and be done is just not the way things work anymore. We need to have flexible regulatory structures that evolve. And so very excited to work with states like California and others who are trying to tackle this very complicated policy issue that doesn't just affect my industry, it affects a lot of emerging financial technology industries in a way that benefits consumers and doesn't disrupt the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Well, very nice. Hey, Matt, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, you were a great guest, and I, I certainly learned all about an industry that I knew very little about. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Great to be here. Bela, well, that was a really interesting interview. Um, I did a little more research, and I, I know a little bit about this industry, but it's kind of a controversial space with a lot of history. What's your take? Yeah, I think you're right about the history. Uh, you know, people think about payday loans, uh, which is basically getting an advance on your paycheck. And, you know, it's an expensive industry. And it's often, you know, people who are struggling are the ones who have to deal with that stuff. Uh, I think this is a little different. I was sort of impressed by the idea and the concept. And as I mentioned in, the, in my conversation with Matt, you know, I, I recalled my, my first job when I was a mason's helper for a home builder. And, you know, we did all the brick and concrete work uh, in this housing development. And it was interesting, you know, this is back in the uh, late 60s. I remember I got paid cash at the end of every day. You know, that was my first job. 
that I had where, where I worked for an employer other than I used to mow lawns where I got paid cash also, but I got paid cash at the end of every day. And it, you know, it wasn't under the table, you know, at the end of this year, I got my tax statement with withholdings and all that stuff. So I wasn't one of those under the table type jobs. Um, but it was, that's what I was sort of used to. And then I got my first job out of college where I worked for General Electric Research as a research engineer. And I almost had to wait a whole month to get my first paycheck. And, and I remember it was like, well, wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? I've, I've been working for like three weeks uh, before I finally got paid. And, you know, I had rent to pay and because I had an apartment, you know, and you got to pay a month in advance for the apartment and a security deposit and all that kind of stuff. And it really gave me this kind of short term cash flow challenge. And I, I remember that when Matt and I were having the conversation, it said, gee, you know, that would have solved my problem if I could have if I could have gotten basically an, not an advance, but basically pulled my money out as I earned it as opposed to leaving it within in the business, so to speak. So what do you think, Mike? Well, Bela, I looked at the history of this a little bit. And, you know, why do you get paid monthly or every two weeks? And, you know, these systems used to be all manual. And there were accountants and clerks sitting in doing all this stuff by hand and making sure that the payroll taxes were paid and all of these things. And that's how this system developed. It really yeah. was a manual process uh, and needed time. Um, yeah. But right. And, and OK, you know me and most listeners will know I have pretty strong opinions on economic inequality. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm a capitalist. I believe in capitalism. I'm a business school professor. But my version of capitalism doesn't mean that the rich get richer and the poor get screwed. OK, I actually don't think that's what capitalism means. We can have a long debate about that. But in short, especially by banks and the financial service yeah. in, services industry, there's a long history of kind of unethical positions being staked out. Okay. So I'll get on my soapbox for a minute. And, you know, I totally get this, what, what, um, what Matt was saying, that this is better than a traditional payday loan. And it is a traditionally uh, better than the traditionally huge overdraft fees that banks charge. Um, they keep your money for a long time. And if you've got to move some of their money in, they totally screw you over. Right. Um, and you don't get anything. And this, these are predatory. Uh, they're legal. Okay. But I don't think they're ethical. Um, the, you know, the reason why they're legal is because, of course, financial services firms uh, are allowed in the U.S., like all other corporations, to really have a strong influence on the laws that are passed through lobbying and through direct but very lightly tracked political donations. Um, and the financial services industry has long been uh, one of the most, um, I like to use the word egregious, but we'll call it one of the most generous donors, right, that industry to politicians and have right. had long yep. had one of the most strongest uh, lobbying organizations in Washington. Um, and a lot of times they write the, the laws that they want passed and they give them to the, to the lawmakers and the lawmakers submit them and get them passed. Um, and this harms people without power, typically poor people. Um, and, you know, there are, they are of questionable ethics because they do help the profits of the company, but they have these negative impacts on society that don't often get, talked about or measured. And that is these really high payday loans uh, where people are paying huge interest rates that um, those that of us that can afford um, and have bad, better access to credit don't have to pay anything near this. Granted, there's risk. I get it. Um, but it's it's really egregious. Um, and this happens with used cars at the low end of the market, a long history of gouging people. Uh, but it really happens also in financial services and things like this. So, um, you know, and, and in Europe, we we don't have all this lobbying and they look at making sure that, sure, the people that invest in financial services companies or private equity or VC, um, that they get a, a return on their capital, but not at the expense of screwing over the rest of society, which in the long term isn't good for anybody. It's good for the few rich, but it's really bad for the, the people who are who don't have a strong financial, uh, you know, a, a strong financial footing. Um, and yeah. they go on unemployment yeah. and they, they don't have health insurance and these costs are higher in the long run. So if you take a long run view like I do, um, these financial service regulations are designed to protect consumers to make sure that the laws benefit all citizens and that these types of payday loans, which this system is replacing and these huge fees a lot of times that individual uh, consumers have to pay on overdrafts, um, these are really rare in Europe and, and they should be, they shouldn't be allowed. Um, 
there should be more restrictions on the lobbying and the corporate political donations and gifts that financial services firms um, give. And the correlation there is obvious to anybody who cares to look. But I'm digressing. Let's go back to these on-demand pay, payroll systems like daily pay. It is an alternative and it is an improvement. I agree. But now employees are often paying a fee, in this case, $3. Right, right. We didn't talk about it, to access the money that you've earned. So essentially, you can argue on the other side that you're paying for your own paycheck. Okay? And I've got a little bit of a concern about that. Okay? It's better. I totally agree. But I still think it's ethically suspect. Okay? It's it's definitely better for an employee that chronically overdrafts, right, a couple times a month and gets these big fees or chronic, is consistently using payday loans. This is a way better system for those workers. But I know plenty of people who don't make a lot of money in my own family and, and friends that I have. They don't make a lot of money and they don't use these services. And now they have to pay to access their money. Right. Okay. Right. That's a problem. Okay. $3 per transfer can add up quickly. Okay. If you add, use this service a couple times a week, every week. So to me, I love this, this concept and I love the idea. I'm not so hip on the implementation, but there's an easy way. To me, if employers really want to push this as a benefit to their employees, they'd say, okay, we're going to use this and we'll cover three or four transfers a month, equivalent yes. to getting paid once a week, right? Right. right. No charge to the consumer. Yeah? Right. The, the no charge to their employees. Yeah. Exactly. No charge to the employees. The employers pick it up. Now we're talking about a win-win. The employers are offering a benefit. They're paying for it. Um, the employees could, at no extra charge to them, have access to their money on a regular basis. But for those that need in between, they would pay the fee. Okay, so they have a, an incentive to to kind of get get on a more solid financial footing so they don't need to do this, right? And hopefully the education is there so you can say, yeah, the first three are free. After that, be careful, right? Because right. it's gonna you're going to have to pay a fee. Um, or the company themselves um, can work this into their business model where they say, okay, you know what? Um, we'll, we'll charge the employer a little bit of a fee, right? Right now, the employers don't pay for this service, I think, right? If my, my understanding is correct, and only their only revenue model is through the fees that the, the employees pay. Um, so maybe they change the pricing model a little bit and toy with that um, to cover that. And I think then it would be totally awesome. I would have no problems with it at all. So I think this has great potential. I don't think it's there yet. I think let's let's say it's not enough. Let's not be satisfied with reducing predatory fees. Let's eliminate them. Let's yeah. take the high road and do the right thing, right? Even if that cuts into our profits a little bit, you know? Yeah, well, I think you bring up a lot of good points, Mike, in this notion that it's, it's, a, it's a significant improvement over what we have, but still the people who need this service are are sometimes less fortunate individuals and and we're still making them pay to get their money which which yep. you know why are we doing that we, we we shouldn't we shouldn't have to do that and this notion of sort of figuring out something that's uh in the middle ground and incentivizes people to uh make some improvements maybe in their own cash management and and their own own lives if they can but at the same time, you know, gives them two or three or four per month for free. And after that, you know, there is a fee. I like that notion. Uh, that has a lot of pluses to it. Yeah, a little bit of creative thinking goes a long way. Um, and I think there's still, you know, if you look at a, at a model like this, it still provides um, plenty of motivation for employers to adopt this approach. I agree. If you give people, your employees access to their money a little more easily, they're going to like you as an employer. You're, you're helping them. And I, so I totally buy into this and it, and it is the lower strata of, of, of earners that need this help because they're not financially stable right. Um, right. And, and they need this help. And it's a great, it's a great service, but let's make it so that it's not costing them more, right. To, yeah. to, to get this benefit. Let's, let's truly make it a benefit rather than uh, shifting uh, uh, the costs um, uh, onto the group that can afford it the least. Um, and I th still think there's plenty of profit margin there for the companies like Daily Pay and their private equity and venture capital investors. You, you've been on that side. Um, you know, you know how to look at the at the business model and say, you know what? Yeah, 28 percent margins are great. But if you can do 26 percent margins and make sure that the the employees aren't paying anything in the longer run, that's going to be more sustainable because more companies will adopt this model. Right. And right. get more public support. Um, yeah. And it'll have less regulatory um um, you know, rowing against the tide, right? Regulators will be more, more, um, uh, more friendly Open to it. it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it lowers your, again, lo looking at it at the long run, this is a much better way to approach this. 
But all right, I'm off my soapbox, Bela. Yeah. Thanks for, no, that uh, was, thanks for no. letting me stand up and yell. Um, <laughs> and I like your I like your summary. Better, absolutely better than where we're at, but could be better still with a little bit of creative thinking and a little bit of more open mindedness. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck, and and this they're still going to live paycheck to paycheck. The, the problem is they're still not making enough money, but you know, this improves the cash flow. We all understand what cash flow is. And when you get paid once a month or twice a month, that <coughs> that's really disruptive to your cash flow. And, uh, and if you so, get it, especially if you get an unexpected expense and we all right. know right now in Corona, right, there's lots of unexpected expenses. Yeah. So a couple of uh, other things I wanted to touch on Mike, uh, with, from, from an entrepreneurial perspective, uh, that, that I thought they did kind of they did well, right? They, they clearly understood uh, that they needed to integrate with the existing payroll systems that companies have. They weren't trying to invent a new payroll system that also provided this benefit. They, they, they understood that in order to get accepted, you know, companies don't want to mess with their payroll systems, right? That's what, as, as we often call, a very sticky business. If you're selling payroll systems, once you're in and once you have a customer that's using your payroll system, boy, they're, they're going to be very reticent to change to a new one uh, just because the risks are super high. Because when people don't get paid, man, do they get pissed off. Yep. So they understood that. So I thought that was a good, a good lesson there for entrepreneurs is that you have to look at your business and particularly if your product or service is, is in an area that's critical to the operation of that business. You have to figure out how to get in there without being disruptive, which may mean you need to seamlessly integrate with existing systems and make it easy, right? Uh, and, and reduce the risk uh, for your customer. Uh, otherwise, they're, they're gonna be very reticent to, to, to make that switch. So I thought that was a really good, good piece that they came up with. Yeah, their business model was disruptive, but their platform wasn't. And yes, one of good the way of putting it. One of the things that I try to imbue into my innovation students is be everybody likes to come up with a new platform. And it's like, okay, be careful of platform proliferation, right? That you can have too many platforms. If there's a platform that's working, build on that, right? Rather than create another new one that people have to make a choice. Right. And that's definitely what they did, and you pointed that out. And it's it's the same thing. Don't don't um, don't reinvent something that doesn't need to be reinvented. Yeah, you agreed. Know? Agreed. So, yeah, really interesting, I think, analysis of this. And the other thing I thought was interesting, particularly now with the t very tight job market we have here in the United States, I don't know how it is over there in Germany, but there, there's uh, a lot of businesses are, are closing early. And, you know, people, particularly services, businesses, restaurants, uh, other types of services, business, they're closing early or they're, uh, we have a uh, last summer. There is a large, um, what you know, uh, uh, what do you call them here? A uh, place that has roller coasters and rides to go on. Amusement park. Amusement yeah. park. Thank you, Mike. So there's a large amusement park here in the town right next door to us. I mean, really big. It, it gets eight, like eight hundred thousand visitors during the summer season. I mean, it's a big place, and. Uh, they typically hire lots of local kids and they also hire uh, students from foreign countries for the summer. And because of COVID, they had a really challenging time hiring people. They were closed two days a week. I mean, think about disrupting a business. Normally they're open seven days a week, right? For the whole summer season, they were closed Mondays and Tuesdays because they didn't have enough staff. So the notion of that, this type of uh, uh, daily pay is a benefit and a recruiting benefit, uh, particularly for those types of service jobs, uh, you know, where people are not making a lot of money. Um, I think that's a, that's something that, that as you know, Mike, Matt and I were talking, I said, Ooh, this is, yeah, this could be a nice benefit. And he said, a lot of companies have used it in such a way, which takes me back to your point of let's make this even better, right? If it is a, if it is a benefit for the corporation, why not have the corporation maybe contribute a little bit to that $3 fee for the first four? And now you're make now you're differentiating yourself from all the other employers that have this benefit, right? Yep. Totally agree. 
Yeah, and you know, it's funny. It's you know, we, there's a lot of talk in the U.S. right now about inflation and about this problem with finding workers. And you know, some of this is just I think it's you know the last 25, 30 years, Bela, and you, you and I have both lived through this. The kind of everyday low prices and everything has to be cheap, and we've wound up shortchanging our most important workers, right? Um, and this, again, has led to a lot of income inequality, but it's led to what we see today, that, you know what, prices were artificially low because labor costs were held too low. And, you know, people can carry that on their back for a while, but it's been so much now that the system is, a lot of people, this is, their systems have collapsed, their worlds have collapsed. They're working two, three jobs. They're, you know, doing Uber or, or Eats right. uh, or, or delivering things on top of regular jobs. And, you know, this whole thing of the liberal wage. And again, you know, I'm a capitalist, but people should be paid a fair wage for their labor and the risks that they take. And if the system functions, if a, if a, if a, system functions, they're the ones that have money that spend it on goods and services, right? So if they don't right. have enough money to spend, if the, the, the poorest one third don't have enough money to spend on food and shelter, right? That hurts a capitalistic economy. So it's really got to be a self-feeding machine, which means you have to pay your lowest workers enough to live on, enough to have a nice <coughs> life right. And, right. And, and have a quality of life that they're, that they're satisfied with. And in the U.S., this is a problem, right? Yep. And and I think that's what we're seeing. And again, these types of benefits are ways to lift this bottom third of the population up so that they have financial security and they don't, right? Again, do you want them buying, you know, what do you want? Do you want, do you want poor people in your community with enough money to be buying um, fruit and vegetables at the farmer's market, right? To supporting local retailers where they can buy some, you know, reasonably priced clothes, um, that they're able to buy a used car from a local car dealer and, and help the local economy, or you'd want them paying that money in exorbitant interest rates to, to, to banks, right? Or overdraft fees, right? No way. You want them spending that small amount of discretionary money that they have locally, right? That's good right. for the local economies. And then that flows up rather than, than being charged fees. Um, and that money going, no offense to private equity, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. Doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, agreed. So that's okay. Soapbox part two. Sorry, I promised I was done. Now I'm done. What do you All think? Right. Wrap it up. Let's wrap it up, Mike. All right, listeners. Thanks for joining us today and listening to me rant. Sorry, I'm fired up today. I'll you know it's first our first after the holiday break, so I'll calm down for next week. I promise. Um, we hope you found this episode interesting and thought provoking, even if you don't agree with me. And I realize lots of people don't agree with me. Um, it's okay. It's what makes the world interesting. Um, but if uh, you have questions about what we've discussed, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is, as it always is, bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Hey, and please do follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting application if you already haven't done that. And so until next time, signing off from uh, upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. Sounds great, Bela, from over here in Münster, Germany. See you soon. <laughs>